It's another episode of the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Um, this is episode 50. Super pumped. It's crazy to think 50 episodes already. Uh, a couple things I wanted to go over uh, before we get started with our guest and our topic uh, today. Uh, you can follow us on at the real Apex Vaulting on Instagram. Also, we've been putting a lot more content on our YouTube channel. It's just Apex Vaulting. It's very, very instructional. Um, you can get full-length videos going over different drills, different techniques, and stuff like that. Definitely check it out. Um, also, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. If you want to email us, contact us, um, it's just apexvaulting at gmail.com. Also, um, it's, com- it's coming out soon. It's wild. Um, I'm going to start offering virtual coaching. Um, The way I kind of do it is you send me the video. I'm going to do a slow motion voiceover going over your video. Then I can DM you or email you progressions, um, drill progressions, plan out your practices, what you should be focusing on. you know, that'll kind of be part of the process. I don't have it all worked out completely yet as far as the prices and the packages, but that's going to be announced soon. So I'm super excited for that. Um, I've actually been doing this with many, many athletes over the last year or so through Instagram. And I've developed a new way to offer this service where I think it's super, super valuable. Um, athletes are going to get a lot out of this and it's definitely going to contribute to PRs. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited to do that. Just make sure you keep your uh, eyes open, your your ears open uh, to check out when this service comes out. Um, Episode 50, uh, super pumped. Uh, As a guest, we got Calvin Hartman. He's been on a couple episodes, a couple topics that I kind of want to talk about. And I know I'm going to do a post eventually on this pretty soon. Um, But kind of where I want to start with is, you know, there's not a lot of people doing pole vault at a professional level. And I'm not talking about athletes. That's number one. Um, That's a completely separate thing. I'm talking about coaching. There's not a lot of coaches that are doing pole vault coaching at a professional level, meaning it is their job day in and day out. Um, You know, and I kind of like, I don't know. I'm getting sick and tired of hearing people who are looking for expert advice, but they're getting it from part-time experience. You know, and there's so many coaches out there and look, I get it. I I really don't want to take away any, any credit or accolades that any coaches received, but there are coaches out there that have either only worked with D1 talent, you know, or USA talent. And the thing is, there's a lot of people out there that are just trying to help, you know, their Sally, who's five foot tall, hundred pounds, get into the pit, you know, and it's like, those people don't have the experience, you know, for that, you know, 100%. And they're not coaching, you know, a bunch of people a day. I mean, uh, you know, on a slow day at Apex, sure, maybe we only have two sessions and there might be only like 20, 30 kids at the club or athletes, I should say, because we have plenty of college, post-collegiate people as well. Um, And on a long day, we might have six sessions where we see, you know, 50, 60, 70 people, uh, you know, so that's the thing. It's like, this is what we do at Apex. You know, we have progressions, regressions for every exercise that we use, whether it's on the pole vault pit, you know, whatever drill or our workouts uh, afterwards. I don't know. I mean, Calvin, you know, you especially kind of have immersed yourself in the strength and conditioning world. 
and maybe there's a good analogy or example that you can give us or, or just give us your thoughts on this. Like, am I crazy? Like, you know, like I, I just, I, I don't understand, I don't understand how some guy who works with like three people who go to USA's is supposed to help the guy who's trying to help Sally into the pit. You know what I mean? Well, I think you bring up a good point. Like somebody who does this full time is going to see so many more athletes than somebody who just does it part time, you know, and just the sheer volume of athletes you've seen over the past you know, even five, ten years is is crazy, and you can't you can't replace that with anything. You know what I mean? Like right. even even you could argue watching better athletes, and and you coach you know a lot of beginners and yeah. middle school kids. Like pole vault is pole vault, and you're seeing just the volume of jumps you've seen is something you you really can't you can't replace that with anything. Right. And yeah. I think in strength and conditioning, um, that's kind of expected, right? Like internships will often go you know, month, two months where you're expected every single day, the entire time the gym is open to watch, you know, learn. And that's, you know, just watching. And then to become an experienced and seasoned strength and conditioning coach, you have to have a ton of hours under your belt. You know what I mean? Right. And that's when you're considered a true professional in the field is when you have a lot of experience. But I think some pole vault coaches don't even come anywhere close to that, you know? And it's like, how can they, if, if you're seeing kids part-time or you're only seeing you know, your college session once, two times a week, you know what I mean? Right, right. I mean, you know, that hours of experience is so huge. You know, it's like, I, I get it. I get it. Someone may have coached an Olympic champion or someone may have coached someone's USA's or they might have coached a D1 national champ. But then when you look at the number of hours a week that they are coaching, it, it doesn't equate. It doesn't equate, and it's not helping, you know, that guy or gal that's coaching at a high school who's getting straight beginners. I mean, look, something that I always used to hear that drove me crazy, um, you know, on pole vault power, I remember some coaches posting how only the best athletes should pole vault. Well, let's have real talk. Let's have real talk. One, if you're the pole vault coach at a high school, um, you're most likely not the head coach, and the head coach is not giving you the best athletes. One, the track team is not getting the best athletes out of the school usually, right? The best athletes are doing stuff like football, baseball, basketball, right? And even within track, pole vaulters are not the best athletes ever. Right. I don't think. Right. And so it's like and so you'll be lucky you're going to get kind of like kids that are not the best athletes. Those best athletes are doing 100, 200, three, uh, you know, 100, 200, 400, maybe even 800 meter races, you know, or they're doing long triple. You're not getting that athlete at the pole vault pit. And so you have to make do. You have, you have to keep this event going at your high school with whatever athletes you're given. I mean, I remember my first, my first year, I had a couple of girls that were, you know, decently sized. Uh, I had a five foot three and a five foot six girl and they ended up jumping 11, four and 10. After that, I literally, like, the head coach wouldn't give me anybody taller than five feet. I, I had to do what you're I had the, to do. Five foot, five foot tall guy. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like, I, and because and they were happy with dual, dual meet points, you know. Yeah. And so it's like the reality of the situation is there's a lot of people out there that are not working with the top end athletes in pole vault. They're dealing with whatever they can get. Whoever is is given to them. And so it's like, how is that now, that coach who is, I don't know, wants to start talking about physics, wants to start talking about pressure on the pole and blah, blah, blah. Like, we start to get into this minutia of, like, stuff that just doesn't apply to this guy who's like, look, I have 
a boy that's five foot three, 115 pounds. He maybe runs the hundred in 17 seconds. You know, it's like, what do I need to do to get this kid in the pit? What do I need to do to get this kid to wrap a bungee? What do I need to do to get this kid to clear a crossbar? I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I, I just don't see how someone who coaches maybe five to 10 athletes a year for two times a week is going to help that guy, especially when each of those athletes come in and already pole vaulting. Right. You know, I, I mean, what about like, let, let's bring this up, you know, in the strength and conditioning world, like clearly people don't walk in squatting a thousand pounds, right? Talk about the idea of progressions or even regressions for exercises. Maybe you can pick out one as, as an example and kind of go through it and how this would be applicable for pole vault in, in terms of what we're talking about. Because I think it's really hard. You can't just show me a video of, let's say, Sam Kendrick jumping 19 feet and be like, see, this is how you coach pole vault. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? That, that just doesn't – not going to work. Right. Well, I think a good way to illustrate that is, like, I work with a lot of um, adults, like older adults, right? And they don't, they don't even squat with a bar, right? So I can't show them how to squat with a bar and just expect them to do it. Like, they're beat up. They have, you know, knee issues and hip issues and back issues. So we regret, like, I regress them a lot. You know, I might start them just a body weight squat, and they may squat down to, like, a box, you know. So it's very simple, very easy for them to learn. And then maybe we'll progress to where they're holding, you know, a dumbbell or a kettlebell or something. Right. Then maybe I'll take the box away. And, you know, they may they may not get to the point where they're, you know, squatting with a bar on their back. like Or like them, a regular barbell. They may regular, use they some use a specialty special bar bars. or something like that. Yeah. So, they're, you know, I'm always trying to regress stuff. Or, you know, then, you know, I have worked with a couple athletes and sometimes they're a little bit more advanced and you can put a bar on their back and, right. you know, kind of go, go nuts with them. Well, yeah, and I mean, look, I mean, let's say something that's even, um, I mean, obviously squatting is important. If you're not squatting, um, you're missing out. It's a good way to get people's lower body stronger, help them run faster. Uh, but for pole vaulting, upper body is super important. Something like the pull-up is is very, very important. We, we've talked about that at the club, you know, how important the pull-up is, but you have... There's a lot of progressions or regressions. If you can't do a pull-up, we can add bands to make it easier. If you can't, if you still, even with bands assistance, you can't do a pull-up, we, we use the TRX uh, bands, right. which you could do like a, a, a row where you like lean back, you know. Um, there, there's a progression or regression for the weakest to the strongest athlete. Someone's really strong, we can start adding weight to their pull-ups, you know. And we've had plenty of athletes do over 50% of their body weight in a pull-up, you know. So it's like if you weighed 150 pounds, you're doing a 75-pound pull-up. That's, you know, we've had plenty of athletes do that here and work up to that. But we have the regressions so even someone on the weaker end can start somewhere, you know. I, what I, I kind of, you know, also can't stand is like this idea that we all have to do gymnastics stuff. Like we have to do a gymnastics practice at pole vault I mean, Calvin, especially, like, considering strength and conditioning, considering muscle groups and stuff like that, like, should I be doing gymnastics front rolls at practice? Like, is that going to help me pole vault better? I mean, I don't really think so. A lot of the kids can't even do the gymnastic type stuff. They're not strong. They don't have a base level of fitness or a base level of strength to even perform those exercises. So how in the hell, if they can't even do those, is that going to help them pole vault? They're not even doing it right. They can't do it. Right. 
so it's pointless. Right, like some people have, have ropes and they want people to, you know, do swing-ups on ropes, but they don't have the upper body strength. And that's, okay, that's applicable to pole vault, but they don't have the upper body strength to swing upside down on, on, on a rope. And it's like, well, then you need to do a workout to get them strong enough to do that. You know, uh, I, I mean, even rope climbs. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with rope climbs. It's fine. That's something that is applicable. But if you don't have the latch strength already to do the rope climb, what do you do? Just do nothing? Just hang there? Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand where people want to go. And, and just to go back to, like, front rolls, too, because front rolls are pretty simple. I just think they're a waste of time. I want people to, like, because people ask me, Bronco, why? Why does everybody do gymnastics in pole vault? I think one of the reasons, and I want everybody to picture this, right, um, you know, Vitaly Petrov, when he was coaching Sergei Bupka, wanted Bupka to do some bar work in gymnastics, right? And some other stuff, right? They would do stuff on the stall bars, you know, where they would do swing-ups and levers, which really, really lat-intensive, which is the, the lat muscle is so important for the pole vault. Um, so it makes sense, right? But I, I want everybody to imagine this happen. Vitaly Petrov, right, in communist Russia, calls up the... Olympic Gymnastic Training Center says, hey, I got this guy, Sergey. I'd like him to do bar work, uh, Mr. Gymnastics Coach. What? Tuesday you have an opening? Three o'clock? Great. Sergey will be there. Do you think that the gymnastic coach reinvented the whole program at the gymnastics center specifically for pole vaulters? Or did Bupka just end up doing the normal gymnastics warm-up? He probably just did the normal gymnastics warm-up. Right. And then, here's the thing, right? Again, picture this, guys. We're pole vaulting, right? Let's go back to when Calvin, you know, first started jumping. He's in high school, and maybe he's up to, like, 13 now. And, you know, he he goes on YouTube and looks up Sergey Bupka videos, and he finds a grainy, like, it definitely was from VHS, you know, grainy quality VHS-type video on YouTube with some epic music in the background, right? It's like really epic. And Bupka's doing these front rolls, warming up for gymnastics practice. All of a sudden, Calvin walks away from that video like, dude, it's Sergey Bupka. I got to do me some front rolls, you know? But not seeing the context of why Sergey Bupka was even doing that warm-up. You know, or also the fact, hey, can we talk about this? Sergey Bupka was the world record holder. He was in the Olympic Training Center. His job was to train every day. So throwing an extra couple front rolls is not a big deal. But now let's bring it back to... You can't take time away from practice to do that stuff. Right. Like if you're a high school coach or a college coach and you're seeing your kids two, three, maybe even four days a week, hey, man... You got to do what's the best bang for the buck. And wasting time doing front rolls instead of running drills, wasting time doing front rolls instead of learning how to jump up, wasting time doing front rolls instead of pull runs, wasting time doing front rolls instead of pull-ups. I'm sorry. I just, people, I'm not seeing it. I'd love to be convinced otherwise. I would love to be on the bandwagon with everyone else. I really would. Because I think this is what some people don't understand. They're like, Bronco, what? don't you see everybody else doing this? Obviously, they must be right. Guys, I've done three fundamental changes in my coaching style when I found different things, better things. 
you know, and we, we do the 640 model at, at Apex, right? I started out, man, everybody was telling me about blocking. You got to push on the pole. You got to bend the pole. Then I found beginner to Bupka, Petrov Bupka model, and then 640 model. Roman Bicharnikov was, was awesome enough to, to show me his, his technique. I have never been married to tradition. I never thought once, hey, this is how I was taught. Everybody's got to do it this way. I have a funny feeling that, again, like going through that Bupka example of gymnastics, someone sees this grainy video, this is how it's always been done, we got to do some front rolls at practice. And not actually looking at, does this make sense? You know? I, why don't you explain to people, like, what did we discover about pullovers, for example? Like, wh how, did, how, how can you, if you want to do a pullover on a high bar without touching the bar... You have to get how, the right way to pull-ups. No, wait, you mean I shouldn't do pullovers every day? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, from using myself as a, an, an example, my freshman year of college was when we really started. That's when you, you got the high bar, like my senior year of high school, maybe. Something maybe like freshman that, yeah. year of college. We didn't start using it really till my freshman year of college. And my pullovers were terrible. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really couldn't do them that well. Yeah, you'd hook your hips around it. Yeah, I couldn't no-touch. I couldn't yeah. no-touch it. I wasn't fast enough. Um, but my weighted pull-ups also sucked. I don't think I could do... I don't think I could Back do a 45-pound plate. Yeah, yeah you were probably doing 25-pound plate for a couple I got to look at my numbers, but, you know, couldn't do that. But then by junior year, senior year, I could no-touch, and I was doing at least, like, 100 pounds for a couple reps. Right, and, and you, you were about like 180. 185, 180, something yeah. like that. Yeah, so, you know, you were doing more than 50% of body weight. In, in pull-ups, which is kind of what we found as a tipping point, right? And I just I, we I never did high bar, almost yeah. like I I'm, I didn't do it freshman year like towards the end. We did a little bit in right. the beginning, didn't do it towards the end. Really didn't do any sophomore year. Maybe every once in a while. We we would almost we would throw high bar in as like almost a deload. Right, like if we weren't gonna jump that day because you know you guys were banged up or something, or or if I just didn't want you guys running real fast and didn't want to hit the CNS too hard, you know you guys might do some pullovers and stuff like that because upper body wise, you know, get right. something going. And, but yeah, we would almost use it as a deload on a circuit day or something like that. You but know? it's not a strength; like it didn't build strength. You know, what I mean, I had to get better at pull-ups for me to actually get better. At, you know, the pullovers. Right, but but see now again. Now let's go back to like what we kind of started this talk on. Now I'm Mr. D1 pole vault coach, and again, I'm not not trying to you know rag on anybody, but I'm just being honest. I'm D1 pole vault coach. I got you know Captain America on my team, you know, and he's a stud. He jumps 18 feet, and this guy's already naturally strong enough to do a lot of things. I mean. How many times have we heard, Calvin, from people that are like, oh, I don't lift, but I, I, I can squat 500 pounds. Right. You know, so the, these people are really, really naturally strong. So then they go in the gymnastics room, and this is what I love too. You'll see them on rings or bars do things they cannot do in their vault. They feel great. And then they go back to pole vault, and they feel great. What's the problem with feelings? They don't matter. <laughs> Why don't they matter, Calvin? Come on. We used to talk can, about this all the time. They can deceive you. 
Well, I- explain. Explain. How, how do feelings deceive people, especially in the pole vault? Because, again, guys, I think the trouble with pole vault is we're not always looking at the variables and we can't put a number on it all the time. And so we get caught up with these feelings. What, what can happen if, if I'm too concerned about my feelings? Well, you have to associate a feeling with, like, a movement or, you know, a correction that you make. Like, so if you tell me, you know, you got to jump up more takeoff, I have to associate a feeling with that. But if I'm just worried about the feeling and I don't take into account, like, any hard facts, like, if, if I'm under a takeoff, you know what I mean, you tell me to go back half, and I'm like, well, I feel like I'm, you know, jumping out. up, and I feel like I'm out, like, that doesn't really matter, does it? Like, the right. facts, you know, Bronco looks at my mid, he's like, hey, you were tight, go back half. Well, I feel like I'm out. Well, guess what? That's wrong. You know what I mean? Right, right. And I have to associate that feeling of, like, okay, well, that felt out to me, but I got to retrain myself and be like, okay, well, that means I'm tight, you know, or, or whatever the case is. Right. Well, and, and here's the thing. So it's like you have all these people that start to associate things with feelings. And they're like, well, I feel so much better. I feel like my jump is better. But it's like, did your grip go up? Did your poles go up? Are you more efficient? Do you push off your grip more? You know, are you, you know, are you running any faster? You know, because you can measure your speed. I mean, you know, it's like, so many people are going through workouts and it's like, you know what? They'll get one freeze frame of a video and be like, wow, that was a better position. We had an awesome practice. But they don't look at the fact that they got stood up half the time. You know, it's like uh, feelings can be deceiving. I, you know, I, I hate that when people are like, I feel like my jump is getting so much better. And I ask people, I'm like, oh, well, did, you, did you PR yet? And they're like, oh, no. And they go the whole year without PRing. And it's like, I don't care. Uh, you know what? I'd rather that my jump feels like shit and that I PR. You know, it's funny. Nobody, nobody says that in strength and conditioning, right? Well, I feel like my bench is getting better. <laughs> is it or is it not? Like, it's, it's pretty simple. Right. It's just did numbers. Did you bench more or did you not? <laughs> right. And, and I feel like people get away from that. They're not, they're not actually looking at the numbers properly. You know? And, and again... Everybody gets caught up with the pole bend. Oh my goodness. Man, it's like you're trying to manipulate this pole bend. It's like, look, did your grip go up? You know, did you get on a stiffer pole? Did you push off the, more off the top of your grip? And then you go from there. You know what I mean? Like, you have to see what's happening to all those numbers instead of looking at how the pole bends all the time. You know, I, I just, I can't stand it. I, guys, I've heard from very good coaches, very good coaches. I had one coach say, oh, you don't have to worry about jumping up. I've seen plenty of people jump really high without jumping up. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Great. You're dealing with a stud. What about if you coach... They, they jump high in, in spite of that, like not... D- yeah, despite of it. of it, yeah. Despite the fact that they don't jump up, they, they still jump high. But it's like, all right, you tell me how to take a five-foot-tall girl who weighs 100 pounds and how to get her in the pit without jumping up. Please explain this to me. Please explain this process. Because it doesn't fly. It doesn't work, guys. I mean, if, if people want to talk about, like, really talk about why is this sport not more popular... Because these people only want to coach some guy who doesn't have to jump up to clear bars. How do you coach everybody else then? You know? I, I mean, I just... I don't know why I'm just like... I'm getting so agitated. You know what I mean? But like, it's like... Uh, you know, just hearing the things that I hear from the different circles. And, and 
even the critic here's here's the other thing that drives me crazy there's so many people out there criticizing some stuff that i do and i and i really like guys it doesn't bother me actually i'm very humbled i'm humbled that people criticize my stuff but it's like it bothers me like i'm putting out content that's actually helping people i can't tell you how awesome it makes me feel it's like you know like people will dm me email me call me you know and you know people that i've never even met before they've pr'd you know because of the drills that I've sent them. But yet, some some coach out there will comment or DM me or call me or whatever. And then tell me how bad the drills I post are. But yet, they don't post a progression for anybody. They don't post a, a plan of attack for anybody. It's, it's crazy to me. It, it literally doesn't make any sense. You know, and... And again, I don't know. I don't know why they're not posting this stuff. But I'm going to go back to what I said before. Why should I ask for expert advice from part-time practitioners? If I want expert advice, I need it from someone who is doing it every day. Not someone who does it during season. Not someone who does it in their spare time. Go ahead. I don't want, I don't want surgery from a doctor who did his residency part-time. <laughs> Yeah, come on! It would be silly, man. It would be silly. They, you, he literally, that doctor literally just would not have the same amount of hours as somebody who didn't. Right, right. I mean, I the example I always use is like with poker. You know, it's like it used to be like the the guy who played live poker games all day for eight hours a day. You know, that was that was the best guy. But when the internet came out, it was so funny, right? Because I I know what I'm in here, guys. I know what I'm in here. Well, you know, but Broncos never coached. You know, someone jumped 19, 20 feet or 15, 16 feet on the female side. Like, you know, it's different. It's different. Maybe. Maybe. But here's the thing. That's what the poker players who are playing live said about the internet players. Said, oh, those guys are playing on the internet. It's different. You don't get to read, you know, people's tells. You can't see them, their eyes, right? But here's the deal. The internet player has three screens, four games per screen, and he's playing for eight hours. But he's playing exponentially more games a day. And then these internet guys started beating the live players. Hours are hours. Experience is experience, guys. It matters so much. And here's the other thing, too. There's a lot of these people who are doing part-time coaching. There's nothing wrong with it. Dude, I hope a lot of people do part-time coaching. But But what I'm saying is... Can you count on them to have expert advice? Because a lot of the part-time coaches, if it doesn't work out, they walk away. Or if I'm a coach at a college, if some kid flounders and doesn't PR, no sweat off my back. If I can't get someone to make progress at my club, I lose a client. I lose money. I love this sport. I would coach for free. I really would. But the thing is, I go out of business if I can't help people make progress. Super important. That surgeon, if he keeps killing people, he, he's going to go to jail. But, like, he's going to lose his job. You don't get paid to do something if you fail. You know, it's, it's just, it's really crazy to me. Because, I mean, the, the flip side, I mean, why, why don't you talk about this? How about... How many, how many people leave the club 
And what is their experience leaving the club, going to a college? Not the colleges that I've worked with over the years. <laughs> I mean, the kids, it's, it's not the same experience, obviously. Well, I mean, I mean what do you, I, I don't know. I, I went to Ramapo. You were my coach. <laughs> so it sucked, dude. Don't get <laughs> No, but No, but like talk about, for instance, like the things we would do versus what we'd hear from a lot of other people. You know? I, you know? Well, just, you know, kids would go to college and they have like a cookie cutter program that would, you know. When you say cookie cutter, what do you mean? All the kids are doing Olympic lifts and. You know, the coach doesn't even watch what they do, and it's, you know, it's not specific to pole vaulters. Right, it's the whole track team does this. Yeah, the sprinters do it, the distance runners do what the, you know, throwers do. It's not, there's no individual programs written out. Right. I I mean, it it was so common for us to see people would, would come back on Christmas breaks. It's like, this would be the week at some other colleges. Monday was hard sprint day. I mean, obviously, like, track teams... Differentiate between sprints and and distance, right? And sprints and throws. But like all the sprinters, jumpers, right? Monday's hard sprint day, lift. Tuesday, pole vault, plyos. Wednesday, sprint, lift. Thursday, pole vault, plyos. Friday, sprint, lift. That's a terrible schedule. That's ter- first of all, your pole vault days are on your recovery days. If you didn't notice, I also don't understand the program with the plyos at like. In between the lift days, I mean, this is like or your lift days are recovery, but that's yeah. not good either. Right, but it's like so it's not planned out for pole vault. They're not doing it specific for pole vault. I mean, like I, I even often talk about this. Like you know, a lot of people are always like talking about you know, like they'll run like three hundreds or something. Why would a pole vaulter ever have to run a three hundred? I mean, can you? Maybe I'm wrong. Calvin, should a pole vault no, run 300s? I don't think so. Well, why not? You're not even training the right energy system. The pole vaulters use um, what's called the, the phosphagen system, and you, you basically that's anything under 10 seconds. And, I mean, nobody ever runs more than 10 seconds. I'm pretty slow. I'm pretty slow. Mine might take <laughs> a little bit longer. I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> I take 30 seconds to run down the road. <laughs> but pole vaulters need short bursts of energy, and when you, you cross over that 10-second mark, you're literally training a different energy system, which is counterproductive to pole vault. You know what I mean? If you want to run 300s at a really slow pace for recovery, like I would even argue that's not the best thing to do for recovery, but that's one thing. But to run all-out 300s, I don't think you know it's, it's not helping you pole vault. It's not helping you run faster. You know, it's not... <laughs> It's not fast enough to really you, you translate. Don't, you don't build top-end speed by running 300s. No. Are you sure? I hate to break the news <laughs> to everybody, but you do not build top-end speed running I, 300s. And, and listen, I think part of the reason that Calvin's having difficulty talking about this, because he's so immersed in the strength and conditioning world right now, this is a stupid conversation in the strength and conditioning world. This is the only things that still are argued upon with track people because I, I hear it from track coaches all the time. Like, ah, oh, come on, everybody's got to run a little bit. Everybody's got to run a little bit. My, my feeling, and we're going to go back to a little bit more science. I want Calvin to explain a little bit more. But, like, my feeling is it comes from laziness, guys. It's pure, flat-out laziness. Coaches have the whole team warm up together. And then they have that sprint jumps group, do the same workout because it's a lot easier to monitor. 
It's not necessarily helping all of those different event groups. I mean, hell, I would go on to argue this. If you got a kid who's 100, 200, uh, they probably shouldn't do 400s. And you got two, four person, they probably shouldn't do anything the 100 guys doing for the most part. But the thing is, everybody's got to run all the races for some reason. I have no idea why. You know, I, I, it blows me away. But going to more in depth, like, let's talk about, like, even jumping ability and top end speed. I mean, like, okay, you say we shouldn't do 300s. What should we do? What are some good ideas? I, I mean, I think, you know, keep the sprints a little bit shorter. Um, What's a little bit shorter? Like 250s? I mean, you could you could go anywhere from, I would say, like 20 meters to no more than, like, 60 meters. You know, maybe yeah. maybe 100 meters occasionally but even that's kind of far like i really don't think you need to go further than further than your event you know right and let if you're talking specificity at that point you know you need specificity like you know if you recovery is one thing like you could run more for recovery like don't don't get that confused but if you're talking about top end speed and you're trying to build your your speed for pole vault i don't think you need to go further than you run yeah I think six much further. I think sixty meters is plenty. I mean, you, you know what's funny too, and I, I was talking about this w- uh, with someone the other day. Is like, you know what I find hysterical? Everybody talks about hundred meter times all the time, you know, and that's like that's a true test of like top end speed. But it's like the fastest people on the planet accelerate to sixty meters and then slow down. The fastest. That means if you are not the fastest, you slow down before sixty meters. You know, you don't keep speeding up. You don't hold speed. I love how people think you can hold speed too. You, you don't really hold speed. You hit top speed and you start to slow down. You know what I mean? I, it, it, people don't understand this. I mean, this is why even like it, it, Sorry about that, guys. We had a little bit technical difficulties. I had to readjust the recording stuff. Um, but g- going back to what I was saying, even like w- with the 100 meters, people have this misconception thinking that's top end speed, but it's not really. Like everybody talks about Renault Lavillini, his 100 time is like 11 flat, but that's not a true testament of his top speed, right? He's run a 60 meters in 6.6. The world record is like 6.38, 6.39. Like, that is a lot closer testament of how fast that guy really is, you know? So it's like even building top speed, like you said, yeah, we got to do shorter sprints. I, I mean, what do you remember? What was that Wired video that we watched? What did they talk about? They compared two sports and who had better jumpers. Do you remember that? Yeah, they talked about uh, football players and basketball players. Yeah. and It, it was kind of surprising. Like you would think the basketball players had a better vertical. Right. But it ended up being the football players. Why do you think that is, Calvin? Oh, gee, I, I think it was because... Um... Well, in the video, this is what they said in the video, but I have my thoughts and I was wondering what you thought. In the video, they said it's like, oh, well, in basketball, they jump off of one leg to do layups. A lot of their stuff is jumping off of one leg. But in football, they tend to stop and jump with both legs. I mean, um, I, that could be it, sure. but they also, in basketball, they don't take strength and conditioning nearly as seriously. No. So their strength-to-weight ratio is not as impressive as a football player's. Right, yeah. I mean, 
I even I remember reading an article. Depending on position, obviously. But right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, we're not talking about the linemen, guys. Uh, <laughs> you know, but you know, the power to weight ratio thing is so so important. And what I think sometimes people don't realize, like Steph Curry. Uh, you know, guard for the Golden State Warriors. They've been champs now. Uh, you know, broke the record for most wins by a team in a season. Um, Steph Curry is arguably one of the best basketball players on the planet right now. But they were saying how, you know, someone had mentioned how he trap bar deadlifted like under 500 pounds. It was like 400 something. And everybody was making a big deal out of that. But that's not that big of a number. I mean, it's a dime a dozen. Right. In the football community. Oh, my God. In the football community. In the high school football community. Yeah. There's guy. I mean, a lot of good people, I'm sure, deadlift over trap bar deadlift over 500 pounds. You know I mean? I've de- I've trap bar deadlifted 500 pounds, and I'm not I'm not a good football player by any stretch. Yeah, you don't think you can be an NBA All Star either? <laughs> you and Steph I, together? I don't think so. <laughs> well, ha- how about this? Even I mean, you know, you were the one that introduced me to Ryan Flaherty. Maybe you can talk about him, like his methodologies for getting people faster and be able to jump higher. Talk, talk about that. He, I mean, he's huge on strength to weight ratio, right? And that's that's really how you how you get faster, right? If you're if you can apply more force onto the ground, um, in comparison to how much you weigh, you're going to be faster. You can jump higher. That's it. You know, I think people make speed and jumping so much more complicated than it has to be, right? right. Yeah. Literally, the stronger you are in comparison to your body weight. You're going to be faster. You're going to be strong. You're going to jump higher. Yeah. You know? So, what would he have his athletes do for that? Um. He would have them do a lot of trap bar deadlift. Um, you, what do you want me to talk about? Well, there? you could go in depth. Go in depth. Tell us all the wrinkles. I mean, you know. Well, he was big on – he doesn't like the eccentric portion of the exercise. So that's the going Basically, down part for all of us regular people. What, well, when the muscle lengthens, mm-hmm. um, right? So if you're doing the trap – if you think – if you can imagine a trap bar deadlift, when you pick it up off the ground, that's the concentric part. When you go to lower it back down, that's the eccentric part. And the eccentric part is what tears your muscles apart, is what makes you sore, and it's also what builds the most amount of muscle. So for a beginner... I didn't know picking things up and putting them down was this complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, sorry. But basically, if you have a beginner, like I would argue that they need to do the eccentric portion. Ryan went into depth with that. He's like, he doesn't have everybody do this. But if you have a more advanced athlete who you're concerned about putting weight on, you can take the trap bar deadlift and eliminate the eccentric portion by just picking it up and then dropping the weight, right? You right. go, uh, you bend down, get tight, pick up the weight, and then you just drop it. So you're only working the concentric portion of the lift. Right. You're going to put on less muscle. Um, that's also why bodybuilders lift really slowly. They kind of focus on the movement. They're concerned Because they're about, trying to get bigger, yeah. Right. Well, they're concerned about time under tension too, and that's, you know, the eccentric lengthening of the muscle is what, beats them up and they want that long time under tension but i mean if you're if you're really worried about your athletes putting on weight that's one method you know you could use right and and look this is wild but ryan flaherty he trains a couple track and field athletes and he has female sprinters that weigh about 135 150 and they trap bar deadlift over 500 pounds at that point when you're talking about power to weight ratio hell yeah those girls are gonna be fast like, I don't, I don't understand what people are thinking. But yet, wait. I was on the phone with a strength conditioning coach this year where, you know, pole vaulters are concerned about putting on too much mass if they deadlift. 
I mean, I get it. Guys, I get it. You think you're going to get big and bulky and you're not going to be able to pull bolt. But <laughs> it it's not like, work that way. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Like, pizza gets you bulky, not deadlifts, right? And, yes, we'll, like, like Calvin's saying, maybe, especially if you are someone that puts on weight easily, maybe you want to take out the eccentric part. You know, just drop the weight. You could do that. But how are you going to get faster? This event, speed is so important. You know, and in fact, here's the thing. This is what I love going back to guys who, guys and gals who coach studs, right? They say, well, you know, Johnny doesn't lift weights and look, he jumps 19 feet and blah, blah, blah. That's great. I have a 115 pound male in high school who would really like to jump 10 to 12 feet while he's in high school. Think he's going to have to lift some weights if he's going to do that. Right. And he's not naturally as strong as that 19 foot guy. Right. He's got to build that strength somewhere. Yeah, it's it's so crazy. I mean, I I mean, look, and it starts out very simple. I mean, we had a new athlete tonight in, you know, and one of the first things I had her do, just because I noticed, just you know, through running drills and while she was pole vaulting, and, and she did pretty well for her first lesson. I, I I was pretty impressed. Like she almost wrapped nine feet, you know, first day. Um, but I had her do knee ups. Because she couldn't even do a leg lift to parallel, never mind toe touch the bar. So I had her do knee ups because her hip flexors are that weak. I got to build up those hip flexors. And I had her do some pull ups. That's the first day. I mean, even her, she was like, Did you want me to do anything else? I was like, No, for the first night, that's good. You know, but it's like, you have to build them up. You have to use exercise, like, you know, that you have regressions and progressions. And ima- I'm going to stop you for a second. Yeah. Imagine you took that new girl and you said, We're going to do some gymnastic type stuff today. <laughs> How good at it would she be? Oh my god. She'd be terrible. She can't even do a leg lift. Never mind now do a swing up, a pullover. Right. right. Imagine I, I try to get her to go upside down on a rope. And th- there are coaches out there who would say, well, maybe that girl shouldn't pull vault. Okay, well, I'm going to stop you there because that's when, that's when I get fired up. Because <laughs> if someone tells me that that girl shouldn't pull vault, <clears throat> then you don't care about our sport. Because who do you think? Like... All these same people are like, well, I don't want to train someone like that. Oh, really? But at the same time, you'd love your professional or pseudo-professional athlete to be making millions of dollars and for there to be uh, thousands of people watching them jump. You'd like that, wouldn't you? Where do you think those people are going to come from? Listen, I always bring up the UFC on these podcasts. People are like, well, Bronco, it's not the same thing. It's not. I know. But guess what? In the UFC, if you look at if you go to a jiu-jitsu class or something, all kinds of people are in jiu-jitsu classes. People in shape, people out of shape, young people, old people, every demographic, because they're actually trying to grow the sport. There are a lot of people who are posers, guys. They're not really trying to grow the sport. They may say one thing. No, you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to get another national championship under their belt so they can walk around and brag to their friends. They're not actually trying to help people jump higher. They're not actually trying to grow the sport. They're not actually trying to change someone's life. Now, I'll tell you what. I think this, and this is like, maybe we'll end on this because I know it's getting late. But it's like, one of the things that I love about the club is scale. Is scale. Don't tell me about how you manage one athlete. Really? Come on. That's fantasy land. When you have 10 people on the runway, and in two hours you got another 10 people on the runway, and in two hours you got another 10 people on the runway, you have to make systems that are efficient and work. 
and to help people progress. And you know what? Even from the athlete's perspective, they learn real quick. Less talk, more action. Get it done. Show me. You learn by doing things. You don't learn to be a doctor by sitting in a classroom and reading a textbook the whole time. You learn through your residency that you brought up before, Calvin, by going in that hospital and actually working with patients. That's how you become a doctor. You can say it and talk about feelings all you want. But when you have 10 people on the runway, things got to keep moving. It's got to be efficient. It's got to work. We talk. I explain. Now you do. And then I give you corrections. All right? Can't grip really high? What's the problem? Is it runway speed? Is it that you don't have upper body strength? It's probably runway speed. We got to hit up some squats. We got to hit up some deadlifts. We got to do maybe box jumps. Some variation of something. Oh, you're not efficient on the pole? You can't clear a bar above your grit? Probably have terrible upper body strength. Maybe, maybe we got to hit up those pull-ups. Maybe we even got to do bench. I, I, listen, I, I think even people poo-poo bench press, but bench press, you got to have strong upper body to do that. Your lats are engaged when you bench press. You know, and even just being able to plant the pole and hold the pole in a, the correct position, you know, there's a lot of muscle groups that are, that are being worked even through there. I mean, I, I, I don't understand. You know, it's like, but meanwhile, someone who's in a fantasy land operation, they got one athlete and they get to go to multiple gyms to get their gymnastics workout, to get the pole vault, to go get the sprint workout, blah, blah, blah. Give me a break, dude. Give me a break. You know? How, how about, too, someone DMs you, like I, I was talking about, you know, offering like virtual coaching. Someone DMs you their jump and you tell them, Hey, you know what? Go find a gymnastics center and go work on rings. Wait, so now this person's paying you for like, what kind of drills? What should they be doing at practice? And now you're telling them to go pay someone else to do a ring workout with them? Okay. That's, come on. That's ridiculous. Um, any closing words, Calvin? No. No? Thanks for having me on. Uh, well, th thanks for doing this. I uh, Calvin begrudgingly did this. Uh, he, he said I should do it by myself, but I, I think it's always better when two people talk. Um, I know I talked a lot on this one. Um, again, at the Real Apex Vaulting on Instagram, YouTube channel. I'm putting up a lot more content. Uh, there's some instructional videos and stuff. Uh, you check it out. I'm also posting on Facebook, which is Apex Vaulting, Twitter, Apex Vaulting, Snapchat, Apex Vaulting. And if you want to contact us, just email us. It's apexvaulting at gmail.com. Um, again, I'm going to have more information on the virtual coaching real soon. Um, oh, also, check out the website, guys. We got Apex Vaulting t shirts. You got to get those. While well, they're hot, you know? Hello. Um, but thanks again for listening. Um, can't wait to do this again. <laughs>